0: the December edition of the Aon Pensions podcast. I'm your host for today, Victoria Panormo, and over the next few minutes I'll be taking a look at what's been hitting the headlines in the pensions press and then we'll discuss the hot topic of GMP equalisation with our homegrown GMP equalisation experts Tom Yorath and Jason Eshelby, consultants in our retirement practice here at Aon. To the news, GMP equalisation. Now, unless you've been hiding under a rock, I'll expect you've heard a thing or two about this. The High Court case against Lloyds Banking Group concluded in July. The case involves three female members of the bank's DB schemes who claimed sexual discrimination because their GMPs increased at a lower rate than male members. An issue that the industry has been aware of for some time and hasn't just gone away. Aon advised on the case, and industry-wide expectations were that the court would decide that equalisation would be required. And they did. Delivered on the 26th of October, it was accompanied by a range of possible equalisation methods, which of course will come with a range of costs and implementation difficulties. Later in the podcast, we'll hear more on this topic from Tom and Jason. Hold on to your hats. TPR news. Earlier this year, TPR unveiled their new logo featuring a magnifying glass. And they're going to be using that magnifying glass to scrutinise more schemes to a higher degree. They've said recently... Look, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do an impression, although it's really tempting. Um, so I'll paraphrase. Schemes of all sizes across all sectors can expect increased interaction with TPR representatives so that potential risks can be identified early and put right before the boss needs to get involved. Okay, that's that's not exactly what they said, but you get the idea. TPR will be actively engaged with more schemes more often and they'll be using new methods to engage with schemes compared to what you've been used to. So expect the unexpected when they get in touch. Cost transparency. In a study in 2017, FCA cited lack of cost transparency as a key finding within the institutional market. The FCA set up a working group to investigate cost transparency further with the objective of demystifying disclosure by developing templates that standardise the way in which asset managers present costs to investors. The Working Party released the templates on the 7th of November. These provide most comprehensive cost breakdown ever available to asset owners, enabling them to better understand and query the overall costs incurred. But what about data collection? I hear you cry. I think that's that's what you're saying. Well, the chair of the Working Party has launched a non-profit cost data and analysis platform called ClearGlass. And they're going to do all the legwork for you. Basically, ClearGlass will gather the data for you in a very cost-efficient manner. Certainly cheaper than asking your consultant to do it. But what you can ask your Aon consultant about is the benchmark service we provide to ensure those costs are reasonable. And challenge managers to try and get those costs down where appropriate. Mm -hmm. Commercial consolidators. DB consolidation comes in many forms. DB Master Trust, mergers, buy-ins, buy-outs, aligning service providers and investment platforms. One more to add to that list is the arrival of new commercial consolidators in the form of Clara Pensions and the Pension Superfund, with the first transactions expected really soon. What they're offering is to take over the running of the pension scheme for a lower cost than insured buyout. But on the face of it, lower cost means lower security of benefits. So there's a lot to think through, particularly for scheme trustees. We're expecting a DWP consultation on this imminently, which will make it clear on how these types of vehicles will be regulated. CDC consultation. Talking of consultations, there's another one. This one's on collective defined contribution schemes, CDC. These are DC plans that share the risk between members and efficiently provide retirement incomes for life. CDC plans are widely used in several other countries, including Canada and the Netherlands, but they're not currently permitted in the UK. Could this be the dawn of a new beginning for UK pensions? Well, we know from our surveys that most members want an income from life, even from the DC pensions. Is CDC the answer? AON have conducted significant research into CDC design, which demonstrates that CDC plans can offer advantages of cost certainty to employers and better member outcomes than DC in terms of higher average pension incomes. The consultation closes, set your alarms, 16th of January at 11pm, specific, If you'd like any more information on any of these areas, I'll include contact details at the end of this podcast. Okay, so I promised they'd be here. Here are our homegrown GMP experts, Tom and Jason. Do you want to to start by telling the listeners who you are and what you do?
1: Yep, sure. So my name is Tom Yorath. Uh, I head up our GMP equalisation team, uh, which didn't sound like a particularly interesting role until about three months ago. Uh, I was I was also one of the expert witnesses in the Lloyds Banking Group court case.
2: Hi, um, I'm Jason Usherby. Um I was also an expert witness in the Lloyds Banking Group case um, and advised Lloyds Bank now since, I think, 2007. Um, I'm also one of Aon's uh, banking experts.
0: Great. Do you want to start by giving us an idea of what your role was during the case?
2: Yeah,
1: sure. So we've been actively involved, I guess, probably for the past two years, um, sort of in the background. Um, preparing evidence reports for, for court, um, effectively just setting out what the issues are, sorts of things that uh, the judge might need to consider when coming up coming up with an answer on whether or not you need to equalise, and also sort of setting out sort of the key issues for for each of the, the different methods that the court considered during the during the two week trials. GMP
0: Equalization
1: Celebrities. Um, yeah, I think somebody likened us to GMP Equalization Wizards and then decided to <laughs> Photoshop some Wizards hats onto us for a LinkedIn post. Um, yeah, celebrities is probably too, too strong a word, but, but it's certainly dominating things at the moment.
0: Do you want to give me an idea of the High Court process? So I'm reading Part 7, Part 8. What, what does what does that mean?
1: Yeah, Part
2: eight's a weird process. I also wasn't familiar with it before I started. So you normally think of a court process being a plaintiff and a defendant. Uh, but in a Part 8, uh, one party is a neutral party, in this case the trustees, and they're going to instructions from the court. And it was the bank and the member representatives, effectively the unions, who were on either side of the case. Uh, but also other parties can join so we also had the DWP and uh, HMET also joined the case.
0: So presumably to provide that clarity someone had to get the judge up to speed?
2: That was kind of the whole court court process itself and that was quite a a surprise to me. Um, The the whole education was about all the QCs each taking the judge through their separate issues and the judge was really open in his thought process as he was going through, explaining what he didn't understand, where his mind was going, and that did allow the QCs to adjust what they were saying throughout the process, which was fascinating. Um, I discussed it with the QCs afterwards, and they did say it was a slightly unusual process. Some judges play their cards much closer to the chest, but Justice Morgan was really open
1: in his thoughts. Ready the for process. the next one? The, the point about Justice Morgan being very, very clear is an interesting one because it also runs into the judgment. So I'm sure most people listening to this podcast probably haven't read the sort of 170 pages GM peopleization uh, judgment. Although I, I can strongly recommend it as bedtime reading. <laughs> with, uh, <laughs> so, but it is a very, very well written judgment. He's very, very clear in terms of you know this is a judgment that whilst it clearly applies to the Lloyd's case. It also has repercussions for the wider industry and therefore, you know, even even says, you know, we, I've taken my time in writing this and referencing everything so that the wider industry can pick this up and, and effectively understand it and think about how it applies to their situation. And I think for a subject as almost impenetrable as GMP equalisation, I think it's a, a really, really good job in making that judgment quite quite an accessible yeah. read. It was an impressive
2: individual, wasn't it, to listen
1: to me in call? Yeah, I'd agree with that.
0: So we know that equalisation is required. Um, the judgment went on to give you equalisation methods. Do you want to just perhaps talk us through some simplified examples?
1: <laughs> Absolutely fine. So, so there were the best part of eight methods discussed in court, um, and it's worth noting that those eight methods effectively were almost a spectrum rather than an exhaustive list of every different way that you could you could approach this. Um, there are sort of lots of key questions that lead you down sort of to decide, deciding which of the methods you, you sort of land on. Um, I would say that probably the, the, the most important distinction, or, or arguably the most important distinction, is between dual records and uh, GMP conversion. So a dual records approach effectively says you run your administration system, and each year you look at how much will be paid to, to a man and how much will be paid to a woman, And then you decide on how much you would pay to the member, depending on on how those two numbers stack up. There's lots of different ways you could do that comparison, which is why there are so many methods put in front of court. But fundamentally, you're doing a year-by-year check based on how long the member actually lives, uh, what actual inflation is, etc. So a a very sort of practical administration solution. The other approach then is something called a, a conversion method, where effectively you take a member's benefits, you stick them into a black box, you get rid of the GMPs, you reshape the benefits, and at the end, you get a benefit that's equal for a man and a woman. So effectively, an, an actuarial calculation, it looks a bit like a pension increase exchange, only without the member consent. And the benefits at the end of that process are, are equalised. And the advantage of that is that it's a once-and-done approach. You convert some of these benefits, um, you equalise them at the same time, and, you are, and you're done. Much, much easier from an administration perspective, but obviously one of the things that, that trustees and sponsors would really have to get comfortable with there is the idea of reshaping some of these benefits, potentially without their out their consent. So on, on, on one hand, you've got an approach which is administratively very burdensome, um, but you know you're going to get everything right. On the other hand, you've got something where you're effectively relying on the actuary's assumptions to be right, and frankly, an is only going to ever be right on average, so they won't be right in all cases. Um, And it's whether or not you can get comfortable with that. But if you can, it's a much much easier solution to 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 implement. Um, Obviously, it's a lot more nuanced and complicated than that. There's lots of sort of intricate questions as to how you calculate what what the equalisation amount is, how much of an uplift are you giving to each member, etc. But I I won't try and bore the listeners by uh, or send anyone to sleep by explaining those. Um,
0: Crikey, is this is this just more work for consultants? I
1: think. I think given the size of the exercise, it's probably easy to think of this as a huge administration headache. Um, and that should probably not come as a surprise to anyone, given that we've been storing the problems for the best part of 30 years. But but there is a human element to this, which which you really you, you shouldn't forget. So you, you might have heard of me talking about the fact that on a scheme-wide level, this is somewhere between 0 and 4% of, of, of liabilities. And actually, from what we've seen, in about two-thirds of cases, it's 1% or less. So on an average basis... It's very, very small.
0: How quickly do you think schemes are going to move on this?
1: Yeah, That's a really good question. So a number of schemes that I've been speaking to since the judgment are of the view that the easiest way to communicate this will be alongside a pension increase exercise, which for most schemes will often take place in in April. In lots of cases, this won't be a huge sum of money, so putting it alongside the pension increase Almost helps sort of wrap it up in a okay. Here's your pension increase, and here's a little bit more. Uh, that sort of messaging. So realistically, next April is just not going to be not going to be feasible. We're waiting for guidance from the DWP, um, HMRC might have to issue guidance, etc. Um, so realistically, I think the fastest any scheme might be able to go is early 2020, potentially April 2020, if you're trying to align it with your pension increase year. Um, I think probably sort of 2021, 2022. Um, would, be, would be my guess. But I think it'll be really, really interesting over the next sort of six months to see where schemes land on, just how quickly they, they,
2: they want to go. Yeah, it will be important to manage members' expectations because there's been a lot of press around this and it's going to come a lot of surprise to members if they don't get the first increase until 2022. Uh, but there's some very good reasons why I think companies' will need, schemes will need to work to that kind of timescale.
0: Before we wrap up, is there anything you want to leave our listeners with?
1: I think from from my perspective, obviously, if it's 2021 or 2022, that sounds like a a long way away. But the reason why that process is going to take that length of time is just the amount of work that schemes need to get through. So I think there are some sort of immediate burning bridges that schemes are dealing with now, things like trivial commutations, transfer values, member communications, etc., Then you're probably onto the phase of understanding where your gaps are in your data. Frankly, most schemes, their data isn't in, at the moment, a good enough shape to to equalise. Maybe you haven't done your GMP reconciliation, maybe you don't hold the right pension or dependent records, so there's a bit of work to do there around data. You also need to understand what your scheme benefits look like, so, you know, are you a scheme where your benefits lend themselves really easily to one of the methods approved by the court? Do you fall in a bit of an awkward spot between a couple of different methods? There's some thinking you need to do around your benefits. you're then in a situation where you can then make a call on methodology. So do you prefer dual records? You know, Have dual records come online? Have, have the consultancies and the admin providers built those dual record systems? Or does conversion work? What's the DWP have to say about conversion? But realistically, that decision is probably six to 12 months away from most schemes because you can't really get your head around that until you've got the guidance and you've understood your benefits. Um, so there's lots of stages that you need to do. Need to do before you can start equalising in whether it's 2021, or 2022. And that's why we're sort of talking about those timescales. So I guess my, my message summarises, just because that, that, that sort of that end point is a few years away, it probably doesn't mean that you can sort of sit on your hands for six months or 12 months. You probably need to get started on some of this work in earnest in the new year.
0: Thanks, guys. So if you haven't already started to think about GMP equalisation, you should get started in the new year. That's it for today. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to the latest edition of the Aeon Pensions podcast with me, Victoria Panormo, and my guests Tom Yorath and Jason Eshelby. Right, in the future, I'm going to vet my guests for easy to pronounce surnames. Really, this is just ridiculous. Anyway, If you'd like more information on our retirement solutions and want to have a go at spelling my surname, you can contact me on victoria.panormo at aon.com. I'll include it in the text. Otherwise, please visit our website aon.com or email us on talktous at aon.com. This was recorded on the 28th of November, 2018.